To say that we are blessed is really an incredible understatement. We are blessed by our God to be present today, to be here in a safe environment in which we have already acknowledged in prayer we appreciate, and to appreciate the assurance that comes from a God that provides us with all the guarantee of a home of heaven that makes all the difference in this life. Invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to back up just a couple of verses before where Brother Gerald ably took us just a few moments ago while partaking of the Lord's Supper to the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. We'll read a couple of verses there in just a moment. Thank you for being here today. I've been thinking about the idea of when we thank people for being present at services like this, maybe we shouldn't be thanking one another, but rather thanking our God. But we are appreciative of the fact that there are others who are concerned about the same kinds of spiritual values that we share. And it would be lonely if we were only here with maybe one or two people. It would still be the Lord's church, and we would still be about that business of doing what he wants us to do. But it's nice to have uh, more than just a few individuals who are present, gathered together, united in faith, and in the spirit of the bond that keeps us together, as Paul would write to the church at Ephesus. And so thank you for being here. As was mentioned by Brother Brother Brian, we are blessed with visitors. Thank you for your time uh, that you have sacrificed to encourage us, and we hope that we can encourage you in turn. There's a number of ways we could start this particular study together this morning, but I wanted to start with a question that I did not put on the screen. We'll get to the PowerPoint in just a moment, but simply stated, why are we here today? What is it that caused you to get up maybe a little bit earlier than you would otherwise get up on a day that you don't have to work, or you could be doing a lot of different things on a Sunday, and there are a lot of our friends and worldly uh, colleagues that are doing other things and having a good time today. Why are we here? Why did you show up today? And there are a number of right answers. Uh, I'm not about to tell you what the perfect answer is because it may be that your uh, idea of why you are here may be a little bit different than someone else. But ultimately, you're here because of our Lord that we worship, because this is his day. We are here to worship our God, which is what Brian said at the outset of our services this morning, and rightly so. We are here to worship him in song and to praise him in that song. And we are here to study together, and that's what we are going to do for the next few moments, and we have already done that in our Bible class period this morning, and we're appreciative of those who teach those classes. I would submit to you that at some point in answering the question, if we really spent a few moments trying to figure out why are we here, why did we come here on a Sunday morning, why did we come here on the Lord's Day, it is because we are here to consider what I've called the most important 10 minutes of the week. And that word, and that 10 may be a little bit liberal or a little bit conservative, depending on the, the person's comments when we partake of the Lord's Supper together. But it is indeed a period of time where we gather together to worship our God, to consider what we commonly refer to as the Lord's Supper. And in that 10-minute period, give or take, I would submit to you that that's more important than any other 10-minute period that you have all week. And I think I'm speaking to a friendly audience that would agree with me that there's nothing more important than the time that we spend with our fellow brothers and sisters. 
but also with our Savior in communion. In fact, we sometimes talk about the communion service in a very New Testament word that goes with the idea of the fellowship that we share when we partake of the bread and we partake of the fruit of the vine. I wanted us to talk about this. I've been thinking about this for the next, uh, for the for the last uh, few weeks, and I thought I wanted to do a study on this, and it just kind of developed. And those of you that have written sermons, sometimes they start very well, and then they go kind of sideways. This one just seemed for me to work out well. So if it works out well for you, let me know that it worked out well for you. If it doesn't work out well for you, let me know that it worked out just the same. But I hope that it's a serious study of a serious topic as we think about what I'm going to call seven things to consider. Seven seems like a good biblical number to me, and so it's a good number in our study together today. I want us to start with this notion that when you think about communion, when you think about what we have done just 15 minutes ago, in that 10-minute period, Brother Gerald very ably, like all of our men, take us through passages that help us to understand what we're doing and why we're doing and what its purpose is. And even the passage from Isaiah chapter 52 that Brother Phil read for us is the idea of an image or a visage that will be marred, seemingly talking about Jesus some 750 years later, that this is a key precept of New Testament Christianity, precept of Christianity. When we consider what it is that makes us as Christians, Christians, what makes us followers of Jesus Christ. It is the remembrance of him that has to be key. After all, we call ourselves Christians because we are subscribing to the doctrine of Jesus the Christ. We don't call ourselves Jesusans. We call ourselves Christians. And that is because Jesus, a name, is important, but more important is the title that he wore and that he wears and will always wear as the Messiah, the chosen one. And so when we think about the concept of precept, we sing songs that talk about precept and promise, and we sing songs that talk about precepts that we follow and the law of the Lord and all of its precepts that we are to follow. What do we mean by precept? It, it is just simply a general rule that is designed to regulate appropriate or proper proper behavior. And so that in and of itself may be somewhat controversial in the non-religious world in that we believe that there are rules to follow as Christians. There are things that we must do and there are things that we must not do. And we could go through a long list of things from the Old and the New Testaments that individuals who followed God in the past and who followed God today must do or not do in order to be pleasing to God. But this is not a precept that we as members of a denomination came up with. Rather, we go to the gospel itself. We go to the message of Jesus Christ, and we follow exactly what he said. If you look at what Jesus said in the New Testament uh, of those 27 books, it's really not that much compared to what Paul and Peter would say. I didn't take the time to do a detailed study of the percentage of red letter to black letter from New Testament letters. They're all important. But it is interesting to think that Jesus doesn't say an awful lot about a number of different topics. But yet one of the things that he really focuses on in the closing hours of his life is the communion service, is the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is what I want you to do for me. Those of you that are going to be in the next few years of the early days of the church and to those of you 2,000 years later. So I want to go and I want to read about eight verses from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You may say, well, they're redundant, and they are. 
but they each have a little bit of a variance and a little bit of a difference. And I want you to read these particular verses with eyes that are like you've never read them before. And I I think it's important to do this in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 26. We'll read about four verses here. Because to people in the world who do not understand, why are you guys eating that little cracker? Why are you drinking that little bit of grape juice? You know, if you wanted to really uh, feed yourself, do something more substantial than that. And they, they missed the point of what's happening. And that it's not about the volume of what we're eating, but it's about the volume of the importance of Jesus the Christ. And so it says, as they were eating of the Passover meal, which they were uh, observing at that time, in 2626 of the book of Matthew, Jesus took bread. He blessed, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my buddy. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them saying, drink from all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I'm telling you, verse 29, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So just kind of put that up there. We're going to let that kind of just simmer for the next few moments. But go over uh, maybe just 10 to 12 pages in your Bibles because the book of Mark is a relatively short, uh, in fact, it is the shortest of the gospel accounts. And read with me, if you would, in verse 22 of chapter 14. As they were eating, this is Mark 14, verse 22. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them and said, take, eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so just kind of put that right next to Matthew. You say, well, that sounds very similar to Matthew, and rightly so. And then turn over, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, and verse 14. And these are passages that are on pages of your Bibles that just fall apart, sometimes literally, uh, very easily, because you've read these passages so frequently. But Luke 22, and in verse 14, it says, When the hour had come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. He says, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread in verse 19, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Of course, talking about Judas Iscariot. It's one of those passages that incidentally we like to kind of cut off and we don't like to remember it because it's not fun to read those particular last statements. But we know that it's important enough that Luke recorded it and the Holy Spirit referenced it so that we could reflect on it. You know, I was thinking about this, that 
if one of us knew we were about to pass away and we knew that it was going to happen sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours, we might share with each other certain things that we wanted them to remember us by, maybe give away a piece of jewelry or give a, a precious book and say, this is, this is, this is a book. Remember th- me every time you read this. I, I love this book or whatever the case may be. And we would be kind enough with tears in our eyes to say, I'll do my very best to remember. In essence, the perfect Jesus Christ says, I want you to remember me. And when someone says, remember me, it comes with the notion that it's possible to forget. Let it never be said that we ever forget Jesus Christ. And I don't think that we will, in part because we love him so much, but secondly, because he has put into service and into, to the end of time, a memorial for us to be forced to remember. And I'm not using the word force in a negative sense. I'm using it in a positive sense. We are forced to reflect on Jesus Christ, whether we want to or not. Of course, we want to, but it reminds us on a weekly basis that we are about that particular topic. And of course, Acts chapter 20, verse 7 is the verse that we go to that records for us that these early disciples came together on the Lord's day for the purpose, and it says, for the purpose of breaking bread or, or something along that particular line, depending on the version from which you're reading. And let me suggest you one point. Uh, sub-point here before we move a little bit further, and that is this New Testament tradition, and I appreciate very much Brother Bill's class on Galatians, and he talked about traditions, and, he, and there are traditions of men, and then there are traditions of God, and we ought not be ashamed of saying we are, we are following a tradition when we partake of the Lord's Supper. The caveat is that it is a tradition that goes all the way back 2,000 years ago. And in fact, Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica in his second letter, and he says, keep the traditions which you've been taught to keep. But this tradition separates us from virtually every denomination. And so if you were to go to a denominational group today and attempt to worship God by partaking of the Lord's Supper, you'd be greatly disappointed because they would not offer you that opportunity, most likely, unless you just happen to catch it on the right Sunday for them and for their worldly traditions. I'm actually in the process of studying with someone who seems to have some misunderstanding, not someone around here. It's actually in a different state but about the importance of a weekly observance of the Lord's Supper. And that if a group of Christians or so-called Christians say, we aren't going to partake on the Lord's Day because it's not that important, they're not doing what the Bible has said. And that's not just a matter of opinion or a matter of, well, that's one church doing one thing and I'm not here to judge. No, we have to partake on the Lord's Day, each Lord's Day. And we will continue doing that until the end of time because it is a key precept of New Testament Christianity. Let me suggest, secondly, that it is a fundamental profession of our faith. We have a faith that we share. In fact, that's what binds us together is our faith in Jesus Christ and him resurrected. Otherwise, we wouldn't have much in common. The fact is, is there's a lot of differences in uh, upbringing and backgrounds represented in this room today. But something drew us together. 
Uh, we're not here because of a common uh, political candidate. We're not here because of, an, uh, of a particular interest in gardening. Uh, we're not here because we're joined together because of what our particular child's sport is or is not. We are here because of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the one thing that brought us together today. Now, we're friends. Of course we are. But we're here because of Jesus the Christ and him crucified. And we as Christians are responsible for an inward and an outward faith. What do I mean by that? Simply put, I have, uh, again, working with someone uh, and others throughout history who want to have this very private inward faith. And they want to keep it to themselves. You and I do not have that as an opportunity nor as a luxury. And you may say, well, that means I've got to put myself out there in a, in a place or in a position that could uh, open me to ridicule or judgment from the world. And I would say, I'm going to make sure you put yourself out there to open yourself to ridicule and persecution in the world. Because you cannot be quiet in your faith. Romans chapter 10 is not a passage that talks about the Lord's Supper. I, I get that. But it says, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. So it's an inward thing. You believe in your heart. No one else can force you to do that, Romans 10 verse 10. But what does part two say? With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so if you go to the text that we read probably on average, I would say 12 to 15 times a year in public assemblies like this, if not more, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you read about where he says, I was delivered this by the Lord, Paul says, and I'm going to transmit this message to you regarding the Lord's Supper, which incidentally, you are misunderstanding and you are misinterpreting, and you are mistreating. And so if you go over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24 to, again, a text that we read quite often, and rightly so, he says, when he had given thanks, he broke and said, take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he says, in the same manner, he took this cup at the supper, saying, this cup in the new covenant of my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Notice the text says, in remembrance of me, we are professing. We'll talk a little bit more about the idea of proclamation in just a couple of moments. But we are professing that we believe in Jesus the Christ. Now, generally speaking, we don't look at one another too much while we are partaking of the Lord's Supper. We're, we're, we're very kind of focused on ourselves or on the song that we sang or on our own individual prayers or reading together. But in essence, uh, let's, let's say you happen to glance up while eating the bread or, or drinking the cup and you see your brother Smith or sister Jones doing so as well. That's an encouraging thing because he or she, are, they are professing faith in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you wouldn't eat the bread, nor would you drink the cup. I hope there's no one that is here this morning that has said, well, I'll just eat and drink just so that I look like I belong here and so that I don't stick out like a sore thumb. But I don't really believe in Jesus the Christ and him resurrected because all you did is eat a cracker and drink some juice. That's all you did. Rather than really respecting and professing Jesus the Christ. Now, a word of caution. And the word of caution is one that I'm considerate of and that I want you to be considerate of as well. It's possible to profess to know God and not really have a relationship 
with him. For example, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, a, again, a passage that doesn't really have anything to do with the communion or the Lord's Supper. But Paul said to Titus, after he's talking about, uh, as he's continuing to talk to the elders and uh, to Titus about the appointment of elders and their qualifications and their considerations, and he says, individuals profess to know God, but in works they deny him and they are disqualified for every good work. Which brings me then to this question that I don't want you to answer out loud. We don't generally answer questions out loud on a sermon anyway, but that is this. And it's one that I don't really want to answer for myself, but have you ever gone through the motions of the Lord's Supper? And I put gone through the motions in quotes. And I, I, you, you can nod if you want to. Uh, you can just stare if you want. I'm not going to look at anybody because I don't want to see anybody nodding. But I will tell you that in my I don't know how many years I've been a Christian now, but in my 40-some years of life, I'll be the first to confess that there are times I've gotten distracted. And I see people nodding with me in, in encouragement, so thank you for that, that I'm not the only bad guy, right? There are times where you, you've got stuff going on at work, you've got stuff going on in your family, you've got stuff going on with just so many different things. And you're asking me for 10 minutes to just focus myself on a profession of faith? That's really hard for us, especially as Americans who like things very quickly. Let's move on to the next thing. We've got to profess with our hearts as well as literally with our mouth, both in the way that we speak and in partaking of the Lord's Supper, in chewing and in swallowing, that we say, I believe this is real. I profess Jesus as the Christ. And you may think, especially those of you that are maybe some are older or some, maybe some who are younger, that I don't bring much to the table in this congregation. I can't speak as eloquently as others, and I can't lead singing like some of those guys do. Boy, they are wonderful at their ability to, to make it all make sense. If you partake of the Lord's Supper, and you do so with a full profession of faith, I can guarantee you are an encouragement and a service to everybody else who's sitting on a pew near you. Because you said, we're in this thing together. We all profess this faith. Let me suggest to you that thirdly, that the Lord's Supper is a time of prayer. It is a time of prayer. We model ourselves after Jesus. In fact, we are told to imitate Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so if you look at the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that he is an incredible man of prayer. He is more prayerful than I have ever been and probably than I will ever be. But I aspire to be more like him as you would agree with me. When we read those three accounts in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22, all the accounts of Jesus and the Lord's Supper reference him as praying and giving thanks for the bread and giving thanks for the cup. And so the fact that a man gets up here each Lord's Day and leads us in prayer for the bread, amen, we partake of the bread, and then after a couple of moments, we give thanks for the cup, and then we have a few moments to reflect on the blood and all that it involves. That is not coincidental, that is not just Church of Christ tradition, but rather it is what the Bible says is the pattern that Jesus established. 
And, and not to be kind of uh, flippant, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for us. If that's the way that he wanted it done, we owe it to him in memory to do that. But let me also ask this question as you think about those 10 minutes. You know, maybe three to five of that is someone talking and getting your mind situated. And the other five to eight of that, five to seven of that would be uh, you thinking and, and pausing and reading or doing whatever you're doing. But I would suggest to you that is this the only prayer that should be associated with the Lord's Supper? And I think you would agree with me that probably not, that there's absolutely nothing wrong and there's something very probably right with you being engaged in prayer silently while actually partaking of the Lord's Supper. Just because the amen has been said doesn't mean that you can't go back to God and say, God, I wanted to reflect on what, was, what we just prayed about. And as I'm eating this bread, I want to really tell you how much I appreciate, and then you fill in with whatever your heart pours out to the Lord. And think about that. 150 to 170 people could be praying simultaneously to God in all their private prayers, and God says, I got, I got each, and whatever, each and every one of you. I understand you all. That's the God that we serve. It is a time of prayer. Number four, it is an opportunity for praise. Let me ask you this question, because we use the word praise very uh, easily, and it just flows off of our tongues. But what does it mean to praise? I thought about that a, a few days ago as I was working on this particular point. I thought, what does it mean to praise? So I, I looked it up. Uh, in the olden days, those of you who are younger, we had books called dictionaries where you'd actually open them up and you'd define the letters. Now you just type it in and it just shows up for you in a, in a much quicker fashion. But I thought, what does it mean to praise? What is a worldly definition of praise? For example, I might say, I, I praise you for the job that you did at school or your boss says, I wanted to give you praise for, uh, for that project. What does it mean when we praise our God? It seems to me there are two components, both of which start with A, one of which is admiration and the other is approval. We admire God, and we approve of God. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, who are we to approve of God? We are saying, God, you are the one who approves of us in the sense that you have saved us by your grace, and we certainly bless you, which is a very biblical concept, and we admire you. In fact, we began in prayer this morning with Brother Kerry leading us in prayer, and he acknowledged that God is great and merciful and gracious and kind and loving and worthy of all this praise. Praise is not just when we sing songs. Praise is not just when we uh, have a good sermon. We have to acknowledge that our praise to the Lord doesn't just transpire during those particular occasions. In fact, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, a verse that is probably familiar to you, it talks about the earliest of disciples and the things that they did. They devoted themselves to four particular things. Some versions use the word addicted. They addicted themselves to four particular things, one of which was the breaking of bread on the Lord's day. Let me suggest to you that one can praise God in song and not be pleasing to the Lord if the Lord's Supper isn't a part of the worship. So you may say, well, I am locked in on those songs. Matt has got me where I have, I'm, I'm in tune and he's leading well and everything's going great and I'm spending 20 minutes worth of singing and I am praising God and then you can blow it with the Lord's Supper in praising God. 
And that's scary to think about. Now, there's always opportunity to reel it back in. You may be partaking of the Lord's Supper, say, you know, I'm not, I'm not where I need to be. After all, I think there's something to be said about reflection in Lord's Supper time. But the point that I'm making simply is this. You can't say, I'm going to take a break now. It's Lord's Supper. Whew. Singing was good for the last 15 minutes. Now I'm just going to rest my mind for the next 10 minutes. No, there is no resting of that mind. It is a, an organ that is to be exercised and to be used for God's praise. Which brings me then to the fifth thing, and that is the Lord's Supper is truly the greatest proclamation in history. We are proclaiming his death until he comes. Let me ask you this question. What makes for a great proclamation? Uh, I won't tell you where my mind goes when I say the word proclamation, because those of you who know me already know where where my mind goes because of my uh, historic background. I don't have a historic, I'm not that old yet to have a historic background, but my background in the love of history. But the greatest proclamation is not to free a people from slavery 160 years ago, nor uh, a proclamation made by a king 300 years ago to give freedoms that were uh, more limited to people in Western Europe. The greatest proclamation is that Jesus is Christ. He died for all humanity so that all humanity can be saved and that he was resurrected, giving us hope of life. That is to be, be proclaimed from the housetops. Let me suggest to you that two things are a component of a great proclamation. One is the proclaimer's power to deliver the statement. And two, the statement's content or its message, which takes us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where your Bible may be open to. And it says, for as often as you eat this bread, this is Chapter 11, verse 26 of the book of 1 Corinthians. For as often as you eat the bread and as often as you drink the cup, which is every week, every Lord's Day you do that, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, is this the only time that we are to be about proclaiming the Lord's death? Of course, no. But at the very least, we come together on the first day of the week and we say, I'm proclaiming that my Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was risen. You may not say those words over the course of the hour or so that we are together uh, this morning. But when you partook of the Lord's Supper, you said, I'm proclaiming that. I'm proclaiming that to myself and a reminder to myself. I'm proclaiming it to anyone who sees me in this assembly. And I'm proclaiming it to the world to individuals who may come in here who think that we are silly for eating a small cracker and drinking a little bit of grape juice. No, this isn't silly. This is a proclamation of the greatest thing that's ever transpired or will ever transpire. That's the God that we serve, is a God that is wonderful. In many ways, let me suggest to you that we continue proclaiming and confessing Jesus as Christ each Lord's Day. The only time that you confess Jesus ought not be when you are baptized. Matthew 16, 16 is famously where Peter says, Thou art the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. Acts 3, Acts 8, 38 is the passage that we go to when we talk about someone being baptized. 
And we ask, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that he is the son of God? And we make that confession and say, yes, I, I do believe that. I believe it with my whole heart. No doubt in my mind I believe that. You are proclaiming. You are also making that confession when you eat and when you drink. It's more than just eating a cracker and drinking some juice. It is a proclamation that Jesus is great. He lives and that as we sang a few moments ago, indeed, we anticipate the feast for which we wait. Going back to our brother Kerry's prayer, and he did not have access to my slides, nor did I have access to his mind. But are you and am I willing to proclaim him even if it gets us into trouble politically, socially, economically? If someone were to come today that might be a little judgmental or a lot judgmental of you in your spiritual ways, would you still partake of the Lord's Supper? And, and I, I think I'm speaking to a group that says, well, of course I would. I'm not going to let anybody stop me from doing that. But there may be pressures to not do that. And as Brother Kerry alluded to, we are fortunate to live in a country that we have freedoms to observe the most important 10 minutes of the week in peace and quiet. But that may not always be the case. And there are brethren, your brethren, my brethren, elsewhere in the world that do not enjoy that privilege. And that have to really work at, I got to keep my mind off the fact that I could be arrested or I could lose my job. I want to keep my mind where it needs to be. We don't have to worry about that part. We just got to worry about lunch plans and scores and all the temporal things that are kind of silly that we have to wipe out of our mind. It is indeed the greatest proclamation. Number six, it is a wonderful promise. Jesus tells us that the Lord's Supper is a celebration of what will come. Now, I want to go back to Matthew 26 and verse 29 and reread that verse because it is a verse that sometimes we don't read with verses 26, 27, and 28, and sometimes we stop reading there. That's okay, depending on the point you're trying to make. But I want to go a little bit further uh, in this second to last observation and read that verse one more time. In 26 and 29, he says, I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So here's the question. And I, and I thought about how I was going to present this. I, I labored on this for not days, but for at least some time, more than just a second or two. And I just thought I'm going to put it up this way. And that is how exactly this is going to come to pass is for me still a question mark. Maybe someone can educate me more. I have some thoughts as to how he will, it says, drink it new in my father's kingdom. I don't know if there's going to be a celebration in heaven to, to kick off eternity. I don't know exactly where all that's going to line up. I'm still confused on this, and, I, and I'm admitting that I, I'm still unsure of this. But one thing I do know is that we are assured of the promise of Jesus. And I think this is what leads me to think the way that I think. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, this is where Jesus famously says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is where Jesus says, do not be troubled. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. This is where famously Thomas says, how are we going to know where you're going? How are we going to know the way? And all that kind of good stuff. 
Each Lord's Day, we are to remember the pledge or the promise our Lord has made and will keep. And even if we disagree as, as brothers and sisters as exactly what 2629 means, we are in full agreement that it's worth every Lord's Day for me to remember Jesus, the Christ, and him crucified because it matters so much. And again, I know I'm speaking to largely a group that is friendly, but we also have individuals from time to time who may be new to the faith uh, or those who may be watching or listening that may find these things of interest. And let me suggest to you number seven, that when it comes to the Lord's Supper, there is a sincere need for preparation. I've asked some tough questions about the way that you go about proclaiming and professing and praying and praising and all those things. But here's a reflective question. Don't answer out loud. When did you first start thinking about the Lord's Supper this morning? So just think about that for three seconds. So today is October the 15th, 2023. Uh, you knew that unless your life came to an end or the world came to an end, you knew that October 15th was going to roll around. That's not a surprise to any of us. And it's not a surprise to me. So when did I first start thinking about the Lord's Supper? The reason I say that is because I think about passages like 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 11 and verse 29, part 2. And he says... He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, doing so not discerning the Lord's body. What does it mean to discern? That's a word that we don't use a lot today, right? We use it sometimes maybe in academic circles and certainly in spiritual circles. But to discern is to recognize, to perceive, to distinguish. We are recognizing Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as important. It is our perception that it is valuable, and we are distinguishing it as more important than anything else in the history of the world. Those who be reading from the New American Standard may be frustrated with me at this point for studying from the New King James Version. That's because you have this, or the one who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not properly recognize the body obviously the body of Jesus Christ. The point that I'm trying to make, and I don't want to belabor it too much more, and I don't, because I think it's evident at this particular point, and that is this. You cannot, I cannot, adequately prepare for the Lord's Supper if you say, two minutes to go, I got to get ready. Now, if it is two minutes to go and you have been so busy for the last six days and 23 hours that you've not had any chance to think about Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection, that's not cause for, well, I'm just going to throw up my hands and give up. It's just cause is, I, I got I to switch my priorities. I got to do something different here. Maybe you need to put into your Google calendar on Tuesday, just picking a random date, five days to go to LS. You have a little note in there. That way on Tuesday, you start thinking, it's getting closer. And maybe you have a reminder for Thursday. Those of you that still use paper, anybody use paper calendars these days? 
I do. I actually, I actually do. Oh, good. I see people that like like me. Uh, I I don't know how to use my my phone. I sound like an like a like a ninety seven year old man. But I I use paper calendar. Maybe write it in there. Sunday's coming up in two days on Friday. The point that I'm trying to make is is not a, a, a silly one, but it is really a a serious one that we sing songs to prepare for the Lord's Supper. We have prayers to prepare for the Lord's Supper. We have comments made to prepare for the Lord's Supper. That should all be in concert and with the understanding that we have individually, especially as we get to the end of the week, get ready for Sunday's coming. It's the most important day of the week. And it's not important because it's a day off. It's not important because I get to sit back and relax. It's important because I'm going to observe the Lord's Supper and I've got to prepare for it. And I'm not just speaking to you, I am speaking to me, that sometimes we fail to do that because we get so caught up in a world in which we live that we forget what matters the most. And we cannot be guilty of that. And we can, in fact, trick ourselves into thinking, I partake of the Lord's Supper today. I took the cracker, I took the grape juice, I thought about Jesus for 20 seconds, I'm good to go for the week. And there are people in the world who think that way. We can't be like them. We've got to be different. And I trust that you agree with me in that notion of preparation. It is indeed the most important 10 minutes of the week when you think about what Jesus did, what Jesus does, and what he will always do. And it has got to be important to you as well. It may be that this morning you need to take some quiet time, even while we are singing, and say, I did not discern properly. And admit that to yourself. And admit that to the Lord in prayer. And that's fine to do so. Maybe you would like to study more on Jesus, his sacrifice, the gospels, the message of his salvation. We stand ready to help you with that as well. Maybe you need to make some sort of confession. Maybe not necessarily about something we've talked about in particular today, but some area in your life where you acknowledge, I'm not living correctly. I need to make some sort of correction, and I'm going to make this change going forward. We would be delighted to help you. If we can help you to become a Christian by being baptized and to make that very confession that a hundred and some of us just made a few moments ago where we professed Jesus as the Christ, we want you to profess Jesus as the Christ and be baptized. If we can help you with that, let us know anyway while we, while we stand and while we sing.